Hi, I'm Don Harvey Jr. and I'm the founder of Harvin AR. And to me, automation is a method that can positively affect businesses in several ways. Hello and welcome to This Is Automation. I'm your host, Corey Dallas. Thanks for joining us today. So today we're going to be talking with Don Harvey of Harvin AR. We'll be talking with him about AR, VR, and all of the R's that we call collectively XR. So thanks for joining us, Don. Thanks for having me, Corey. Excellent. So before we get into the, the nitty gritty technology details, I uh, wanted to learn a little bit more about you. Um, so can you tell us where you're from? Where do you come from? Oh, wow. Uh, it's quite a laundry list of different places. Uh, so I originated out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, but currently reside in the greater St. Louis area. Um, but I've lived in a quite a bit of different states all across the U.S. So I'm what you would kind of consider a mutt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a similar background as well. I'm an Army brat, so moved around a little bit internationally as well. What was your uh, favorite place that you uh, lived? Oh, boy. Um so I'd have to say Seattle, Washington was one of my favorite as a kid. You know, this the 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 nature out there, the woods. We lived we lived right up against like a, a big part of some woods, and that was just an incredible place to grow up. Um, more in an adult sense, it'd probably be Nashville, Tennessee. That was a, a really awesome place to live. And out of all the places that my wife and I have lived together, which I think we're now bordering eleven, um, I think we had our best roots in Nashville, Tennessee. So it's an awesome place. Excellent. Uh, representing the Southeast, so based in Atlanta right now. Tell me a little bit about your educational and, and professional background. How, how did you kind of end up in the technology industry? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, actually, just like where the places I've lived, I have a small little bit of a laundry list of different backgrounds I have. Uh, prior to getting into mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, X reality, all that, um, I actually spent a a large portion of my time leading into college studying the film industry. Um, definitely not acting, be a terrible actor, but uh, all stuff behind uh, the scenes, so such as film editing, special effects, um, running camera, uh, lighting, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, I studied enough that I had about a little bit of a short stint in the film industry. Uh, I actually left college to go join um, some productions out there and um, did the exact same thing that I was studying, all the production stuff behind it. Uh, so I did that about a little bit about two years, and it was a great experience. I learned a lot of interesting stuff out there, uh, certainly some stuff that helped pave the way for uh, my future career. Uh, and then after we left L.A., moved back to St. Louis, uh, I jumped into the industrial sector. So I became a sales individual uh, for lightweight conveyor belt team and started calling on all sorts of different plants, pretty much living the show how it's made. Uh, and so I spent about eight years doing that. And that was a um, that was a really great career. I had a, a lot of opportunities and time spent on plant floors, working with all sorts of different individuals from maintenance, um, sanitation, production, engineering, procurement, uh, and I met so many different people that really helped educate me in that world. So that was uh, so from film industry to the industrial sector, uh, and then into mixed reality, and I've been doing that for the better part of four years now. Yeah. 
That's a, a really interesting history. It's kind of like an organic transition. You've got this background in the film industry and, you know, how things are presented and then you get to the experience in industrial and now you're kind of, you know, bringing those two together in, in this, uh, uh, you know, new venture. Working in the film industry, some of those skills that I learned then are like incredibly valuable in like marketing today and in so different ways, so many different ways. So it's really great to have that skill set or that diverse skill set as well. Absolutely. So let's start talking about technology now. Um, for someone sure. who isn't super experienced in AR or XR technology, uh, which would definitely be myself, can can you give kind of me and the audience a brief introduction to, you know, what this technology is and what are the different types? Yeah, sure. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to describe it today. And even when we talk about augmented reality, the most popular way of describing that is vision. You know, we're, we're augmenting our vision. Um, but what augmented reality is, is, is not necessarily just in vision or vision. We can also augment our hearing. We can augment our taste. Um, but right now, vision is the most popular one um, when you start seeing devices like the HoloLens 2. Um, but there's a couple different other types of alternate realities. So we have augmented reality. We have uh, virtual reality. We have mixed reality. And then we have uh, extended reality, XR. And so... Uh, augmented reality, just for kind of a, a very clear picture, is the essentially where we're looking through a HoloLens such as this, and we're superimposing digital content in the real world. And that can also be achieved on phones and tablets, um, but we're essentially seeing the real world and then interacting with digital content in the real world. That's augmented reality. Uh, virtual reality, on the other hand, is with a headset such as this. This is the Oculus Quest, the brand new one, which is very hard to get your hands on. Um, and that's where we're actually looking inside of a headset with, uh, and then entering into a virtual world and then interacting with digital content. So we're actually disconnecting ourselves from the real world around us and no longer seeing that. It's where you see all the popular videos of people falling down or running into a wall or smashing a TV. because They're in that virtual world and interacting with digital content in there. Uh, mixed reality kind of covers both AR and VR. And then extended reality is where we would essentially take a uh, VR headset and then add some interesting depth cameras to it. So what we're doing is we're now looking in a virtual world that's created from our real physical world. So think of like being in a cubicle and we're inside of our cubicle in the, in the real world, but we see a whole different world of, among us, but we actually know that from spatially that we have our cubicle walls in this virtual world and it's mapped through all sorts of sensors on the VR headset. So that's kind of where we're, we're mixing both in, in a practical sense in um, um, AR and VR. Hopefully that gives it a good explanation of it. Yeah, absolutely. That's maybe the most concise explanation of this technology that I've heard. And uh, I think I might actually understand it now. So when we look at all these different technologies, I'm kind of making the assumption that they're all based on some of the, the same, you know, underlying components. Can, can you talk about what those are and, and how they all kind of work together to create these virtual uh, or augmented environments? Yeah, I mean, as we advance with the hardware and progress further, there's going to be new types of technology that's created that we're going to start packing into the headsets. Um, but I would say that with the, um, with the, um, the HoloLens 2 now being available, that really kind of sets a little bit of a new standard. Um, and along with like the Oculus Quest, uh, as well as the Magic Leap 1, which I don't have one with me, but um, we talk about head tracking, we talk about eye tracking, depth cameras, spatial mapping, um, and all of that really awesome hardware that's packed into it. Um, but 
to, to kind of elaborate a little bit on those from a spatial mapping, we have to get an understanding of our real world. When we're talking augmented reality, we have to get an understanding of our real world and how we can put objects in that and how that those objects then interact with our real world. Um, from a standpoint of uh, head tracking, so we look at the uh, um, where we're actually looking in the real world, right? So, uh, all right, I'm not, excuse me, not head tracking, I meant to say hand tracking. So how we interact with content in the real world. So traditionally on the HoloLens 1, we would use what's called a gesture. So we would actually air tap, right? And then that the headset would pick up our hand and it would say, I'm interacting with this object. I want to grab it. I want to move it around. Um, the HoloLens 2 kind of advanced that a little bit further by then adding in hand tracking. So now we can track fingers and hands. So we are dropping the main gesture, although it, it's still viable, we're dropping this main gesture for interaction and now we're just pressing buttons. So if you can imagine there's a holographic keyboard in front of us and we're actually kind of poking buttons and typing and it understands that through hand tracking. From eye tracking, uh, when you look through, I think both the Oculus Quest and the um, HoloLens 2, but to, to, to easily explain it on the HoloLens 2, you have two, well, let's say two boxes, two holograms of boxes sitting on in front of your eyes. On the HoloLens one, you know, let's say they're a little bit farther apart, we'd actually have to rotate our heads and look at that object, and then it would recognize we would need to interact with that as we have a cursor that sits in front of us and follows our head. But with the HoloLens two, all we have to do is turn our eyes. So we actually have inside eye tracking, and then it knows that we're looking at that specific object and we can interact with that, which is really, really incredible. And there's some awesome use cases for it out there. Uh, depth cameras, you know, just understanding the depths and the distances between real physical worlds, um, uh, real physical objects in our, in our vision. Uh, uh, oh man, there's, there's just a lot of different stuff that, that goes into it. And that's just on a hardware perspective. And we haven't really even explored the AR cloud for that matter as well. Yeah, that was almost an unfair question. It's like, hey, explain every technology that's yeah. in, <laughs> in AR headset. Yeah, there's, there's, we can spend a lot of time in a lot of these questions that we're going to be talking about and <laughs> really forget the rest of them. So, Excellent. So I, I think that's a, at least a good enough introduction. I mean, from, from how you explained it, there's you know, different uh, sensing technologies and cameras that are helping us, A, you know, define the real world around us, you know, in the case of augmented reality, and then also, you know, defining how we interact with it by tracking our eyes, tracking our hands and our fingers. Um, and those things kind of come together, you know, with the the compute and, uh, you know, virtualization stuff to, to superimpose all of that into, into one experience. So I think that was a, a great explanation. Okay, so yeah, mo moving to Harvin AR, Harvin AR doesn't make these headsets, right? You, you've, you've talked about some of the companies that do make these headsets, but can you talk about how, uh, you know, what is your role in the process of implementing these types of solutions? That's a great question. Um, so uh, in terms of like talking about like, a, like development and stuff, we, we use a lot of the popular programs that are already out there, such as like Unity. That's kind of our main uh, development program. I can't speak to that too much. I'm not a coder myself. Um, so I probably fumble over a little bit of my words, but in terms of how we implement our solution and how Harvin AR implements uh, its internal services, I can talk greatly on that. Um, so, and just in terms of the platform we've developed, you know, our focus is developing a robust and versatile and agile mixed reality platform for our clients to leverage with, within their business. Um, what I mean by that is like developing practical mixed reality tools 
in the form of pre-built modules. You know, these modules are packed with like, let's say universal functions covering like a broader range of use cases, or maybe a very highly focused set of uh, um, use cases. And ultimately, when that client joins this platform, our platform, what we want them to have is, is a set of tools in front of them. They can start immediately making an impact in the business and then ex explore other tools should they want to um, um, add new different functions to their, uh, their uh, subscription. So really versatile, really robust. We want to be able to have them doing so many different things with mixed reality because, as we all know, mixed reality has an incredible amount of different ways we can be implemented into the real world, whether that's virtual reality or whether that's augmented reality. Um, there's just an endless amount of ways of going about it. Um, but okay, so we have a platform, right? And so now they have this platform sitting in their business and they're like, well, what do we do with it? How do we, how do we use it? You know, great, cool. Uh, well, the other part of it is we want to be able to take that 3D content that those clients have, you know, so let's, let's focus strictly on the industrial sector. We, we, we build pieces of machinery with programs such as like Autodesk Inventor or AutoCAD or Fusion 360, or we get into SolidWorks, or we get into Creo, and all of those produce 3D content, um, among many other things. But in terms of with our platform, we're, we're wanting to take that 3D content and then allow it to increase, or essentially increase the value of that by converting that into a form that allows us to be able to display it in a virtual environment or in the real world as a hologram. Um, and so doing that and creating impactful types of content, we can actually, you know, put those, those holograms to work in, in, in a lot of different ways as well. And so uh, on top of that, um, the other part of that is, you know, the services point that we have where, okay, we've put the platform in place, we've shown you what you can do with your 3D content, but it comes down to the point of actually helping to educate our clients and being uh, savvy and comfortable and confident in the type of tools they have in front of them in the content creation. And then as well as interacting with clients on their, you know, their customers and leveraging these, these types of tools in with them. So we want to be able to provide the platform, provide the tools, provide the, the knowledge and the education, training and support to be able to be successful with mixed reality. So as a whole, that's really our big focus going into uh, uh, when we talk to clients. So you mentioned uh, some of these modules that Harvin AR has developed. Could you give me an example of, of what one of those might be? Yeah, so like a, a really cool one that we, we have is called the animate module. Um, so one of the ways that we want, one of the ways that we wanted to increase kind of like the value of a presentation is by being able to display something happening with a hologram. So going beyond taking a hologram and then placing it in the real world and, you know, doing some simple rotations, maybe some scaling or moving that around in the real world, we actually wanted to be able to say, Hey, what if you could take that apart? You know, what if you could build an animation on the front end or various animations that would show how this component comes apart or how you do this or how you would take this apart or how you would do something. So we wanted to be able to build a pre-built module that dynamically loaded our files and then the module actually pulls actions out of those, those uh, FBX files and assigns them to slots within our user interface and then you can select between whatever ones. So a good example, a very simple example would be think of like a, um, a conveyor that you have that has different um, or a piece of machinery that you have that has different versions to it, right? So you could put this version of this of this part or you could put this version of this part and they both have a way of they go in and get installed in that machinery, right? When you look at 
how do we show that off in the traditional sense? We would, you know, here's a 2D screen showing an animation, or here's a picture showing it with this and this. Well, what we can do is with the animation modules, we can set that hologram right in, like, let's say a conference room table or out on the plant floor. We can set that right there and then easily activate an animation. And it'll show this specific component being installed and how it is and the way it looks. Or then you can activate another one, it'll bring the other one in and show that. So that is all done within the animate module and it's pretty awesome. Excellent. So, so you, you kind of started talking about, you know, a specific use case. I want to talk more about that in, in just a second, but you know, one of the things you said that, that I thought was interesting is, is that you're in, in, is it most cases, I guess, leveraging existing 3d content that, you know, customers have and just bringing additional value to that. Are there any use cases where you're generating new content or is, is it always in the context of, you know, using something you already have and bringing more value out of it. Uh, here's a great example. We have a real piece of equipment sitting in a shop floor, right at our at our office or mm -hmm. some office, and we wanted to do a marketing piece on it. So we actually generate new content that we would then complement that real physical piece of equipment. We're not actually pulling from a previous CAD file. We're building this new content in programs such as like Blender or 3ds Max or Maya. So we can build this these these 3D content that that would complement the real physical piece of machinery. Um, so that's one way when we build new content. So what you know you you talked about the use case. Um, uh, earlier about you know being able to swap in different components. What would you say is the most common use case you've seen for um, the different R's, uh, so to speak, in, in industrial automation or manufacturing, whether it's AR or VR? I'll have to separate the technologies a little bit. Uh, from a VR perspective, training is, is really popular. Uh, you know, leveraging kind of how to educate individuals in an immersive environment so they can better perform in the real world. Um, VR is, is, is an incredible opportunity for that. Um, there's just, there's, we're kind of not, we're not, there's really no limitations on how we can build this training content, especially in, in, in a virtual environment. So that's really uh, one of the most popular ways that I see VR being used among many other ways. Um, and there's even some edge cases that companies are exploring. Um, there's a, and I'll give an example of that real quick. There's a company out of Nashville that, um, I met before that is using it to help, um, addiction. So essentially, you know, if, if we can create a virtual environment that would be a normal place in the real world, that person would visit and then not be able to say no with whatever that may be, we can actually place them into that real world, that, that virtual world that's very realistic or as realistic as possible and have them go through that same type of experience that would otherwise take them down a, a, a path that they wouldn't want to go. And so VR presents a great opportunity for that. And that's a little bit more of an, uh, an edge case in compared to like training on how to dismantle machinery or so forth. Um, and then in augmented reality, I'd probably lean more towards uh, populars like sales and marketing, um, some training uh, um, for sure. Is, it, it, there's plenty of companies exploring that, um, but probably sales and marketing you know, from one of the, the best, and unfortunately we don't have, I don't think we're going to have any more trade shows for the rest of 2020, but, um, you know, leveraging this type of technology, augmented reality for trade shows is, is a very, very great way of going about it. Absolutely. So, I, you know, I think those, some of those use cases seem pretty uh, clear when we talk about, you know, sales and marketing, service, training, you know, there's, there's, I think, really clear benefits there, safety advantages, you know, how we can use this technology. 
What are some of the use cases that, that you see as more growth areas? Maybe uh, the technology is not there yet, or you know, there's there's just certain edge cases that, that are working now that you see are going to grow in, in the future. Yeah, um, I'd probably say it this way, and, and this will kind of hint on a training perspective, but that's not what I'm focused on. I'm, um, I don't, not in the sense that, in the way that I'll describe this is not in the sense that I'm looking at a hologram and it's telling me how to dismantle this, right? But I would say that another huge opportunity in growth area is knowledge acquisition. Um, again, not in the terms of training where I'm watching something right in front of me and it's dismantling, but rather of what are like, a, like, let's take, how do we, how do we take an individual who's tasked with, um, supporting a, a, a territory that he's never been in before. Right. And, you know, my background comes from sales, uh, and industrial sales. So I have, you know, I'm a slight little bit more experienced with that. So this is kind of where this comes from, but, um, you know, we take these young individuals and we say, Hey, okay. You know, here's the numbers you have to meet. Go out and you know start growing your territory. Well, those individuals may not be very experienced in, in the types of plants they're calling on, or the type of environments they're going into, or whatever that may be. And it's not even specific to industrial sector. But leveraging mixed reality, what we can do is we can actually build that real world, and we can bring that real world back to you know where they're learning. So we can actually take that time it would take to you know one two years to take this guy where he's or this individual where they're, they're, they're competent to be able to go out and, you know, make very valuable sales calls or whatever the case may be. Um, we can actually bring all that content to them so that they are knowledgeable going into those, those, whatever that may be. And they have that knowledge sitting right in front of them. So a very specific example would be like uh, a specific type of plant or production line they're calling on. We can take that production line and we can rebuild it as a model and bring that into the office and set that on the table and say, hey, you know, this is what you'll be doing. This is where you'll be calling on. Here's interesting areas about that. Um, and it's very immersive and it's very, it's a lot easier to absorb. So I think knowledge acquisition beyond just from a training perspective, but leveraging it for a whole different ways of bringing knowledge in-house is, is a great opportunity for growth. So, so let's talk a little bit about what stands in the way of the adoption of XR technologies. So we've covered some of the use cases. Um, and I think, you know, some, some of the problems that we can solve are, are pretty clear. And some of the problems that we can solve in the future um, are, are clear. Why don't we see more applications in the field yet? Uh, I'd probably lean more towards the departure of tradition. Um, you know, innovation is risky. Uh, small mistakes and unproven methods or approaches could equal big losses in manufacturing. Uh, and it, that, that is all relative, but um, I would say that probably departure from traditional ways, traditional methods, traditional practices is probably one of the big barriers, I'd say. What are you doing to try to change that narrative as far as, you know, getting these customers more comfortable with this technology how do you do that? Is it just education and marketing? Yeah. So, uh, well, first, you know, one of the big things that is is hard to achieve is adoption. Um, mm -hmm. So, again, that that departure of tradition on a high level uh, is is one way to describe it. But also, for departure from tradition on, on on a completely different level. You know, with with essentially the boots on the ground, with the individuals who are going to be holding these devices and they're going to be going into the field and interacting with them. I think that's another big barrier for uh, adoption as well. Um, and so, you know, there, there's all sorts of similar and different concerns that we would see on, on the level uh, of adoption on a high level and, and then a, 
the level of adoption on an individual level. Um, but it's our, you know, job as the providers of this technology, you know, whether it be a platform, whether it be a single solution, whether it be a service, whatever that may be, is to go beyond supplying just that. And but getting involved with each individual at that level and saying, hey, here's this really, you know, here's this really weird device, right? It's bizarre. And you put it on your head and then you, you know, point to things that aren't in the middle that aren't in front of you, in front of other people. So what we need to do is really spend a lot of time with those individuals at, at the ground level and say, and really make them comfortable and confident in using those devices, whatever those devices may be. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's always, uh, interesting where you target that, you know, educational activity. It's cause like you said, if, if, you know, at, at the user level, right. Um, you know, the people mm -hmm. at the plant that are actually going to be using this stuff, if they don't accept it, then it's, it's never going to come to fruition. Even if, you right. know, uh, pe people making higher level decisions are, are seeing, you know, some of the values, but if, if it doesn't get implemented, then it, it doesn't matter. Um, so I think that's, that's an interesting perspective for sure. Um, I'm curious, you know, from, from, from your perspective, has, you know, the, the barrier to adoption changed over time or, you know, are, are companies being, you know, more willing to accept this kind of technology as it's, you know, being implemented in the consumer side? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, we're finding more and more companies and individuals willing to be risky, you know, willing to step out and in front and drive that innovation. Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, when we find those, those individuals or those companies, you know, whatever level they're at, um, it's really fun to have those types of conversations. Those, those types of conversations usually have a tendency to like address that first initial thing that we're like both parties are discussing. And then it's like, okay, let's set that aside and just explore for a little bit. Talk about all the different ways we can use it. Talk about, you know, how interesting and impactful and meaningful the technology can be. So yeah, I, we're seeing a lot more of those types of individuals out there. You know, whether that be um, someone from, you know, a, a, a higher level, you know, interested in adopting a technology across the company or someone from, uh, you know, who's in a, a, a at a level of out in the field doing it and saying, hey, I want to do this differently. I want to improve the way that I approach it. Um, we get in those types of conversations all the way, all the time. And it's, it's really great. Excellent. So so for those types of companies that, that are, you know, moving forward with adoption or have already started to adopt you know, this technology, how are they overcoming some of these challenges that you've already talked about with, with safety and, you know, the, the risks there, um, you know, what's different about those applications or are they just more risk tolerant? Like you were saying, one of the main things is be open, you know, and support found or discovered innovation. There's an opportunity for, for that to make an impact internally. So support that help, help that grow and, and also give it time to grow. You know, it's not something that's going to make an impact almost immediately. Maybe it takes a little bit longer to do that. So you want to help that flourish and you want to help that grow. It, it is interesting. I think when you, you kind of decentralize the decision-making and, and allow that free flow of ideas, you know, from the user level, like you're saying, sometimes, you know, these are the guys driving that innovation. It's, Hey, I want to do my job better or safer or more efficiently. And I think that we can use this technology or at a high level to have, to have that, you know, kind of free flow of idea, that culture of innovation, I think can, can really help drive these kind of technologies to adoption. Yeah. And ownership comes with that as well. You know, especially the individuals that are really trying to improve and they see this as an opportunity to do that, you know, they own that idea. So there's, there's that improvement as well. So looking beyond what's available today, um, you know, with, this new technology that you've shown us today with the HoloLens 2 and, and some of these other technologies. Um, 
they're really capable and really powerful. There's some really awesome use cases. But looking forward, what do you see as the most exciting thing about the future of AR or VR? Another one that we could talk for a long time because <laughs> there's so many. Um, I'll try to isolate it to, to one specific thing that I've always been really excited and fascinated about um, is uh, uh, kind of replacing, and I shouldn't even say replacing, but complementing, you know, a traditional HMI, you know, the, the um, human machine interface that we see on a lot of pieces of equipment. You know, those things are hard mounted. It's, mm-hmm. it's not very, most cases you can't really move those things around and to the other side of the piece of equipment and so forth. They're usually in one spot. So how do we leverage mixed reality or, or and mainly augmented reality as a way to create a holographic user interface that we can then manipulate this piece of machinery on. It gives us more freedom to move around the machines. I know my time underneath plenty of different pieces of equipment, it was always interesting to see the operator have to, you know, I would need adjustment made or we're, we're installing something and they'd have to walk all the way back around, plug in some information, come back around and we'd sit and wait. Nope, walk all the way back around, plug in some information. So how do we leverage you know, a holographic user interface to interact with that piece of machinery. And that covers another broader range of technologies. But um, there are some companies out there doing that. I've seen some some really awesome stuff. And, and I, I'd say that that's, oof, that's a pretty interesting future I'd like to get involved with for sure. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> so when you look at, you know, your idea of the factory of the future, what does that look like in the context of augmented reality and virtual reality technology? You know, does everybody in a plant have a, you know, a, a headset on? What does that look like to you? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say a headset. Um, you know, we don't have to primarily interact with digital content via headset. Phones and tablets are certainly viable devices as well. Um, I, I know from a headset perspective, in certain cases within the plant, having that hands-free type of interactions uh, really important. And safety, safely as well. Um, but that doesn't mean that everything, I mean, there's all sorts of information that's, that's occurring inside of a plant floor. And how do we interact with that information, that data in a impactful and usable way that helps us make smarter decisions or helps us respond quicker? I think that AR uh, on that level can have a, a big impact across the whole entire plant floor. So when we're looking at this factory of the future and there's more and more, you know, uh, use cases of AR and VR, do you feel that, you know, in, in any way are you taking away from, from an individual's, you know, capability to, to make decisions by just, you know, kind of instructing them what to do with AR and VR? What's your, what's your opinion on that? I'd probably have to say that the way that I envision this type of technology being used in that context where someone's, you know, using it to dismantle or maintain, sanitize, or operate some piece of equipment, that the technology we build isn't there to replace their thinking, replace their ability to do it on their own. It's there as a tool for them to use, to help complement the tasks that they have in front of them. Um, A good example of this would be, let's look at like a preventative maintenance schedule, right? Where we have um, an interval of six months, okay? The goal is not to use this technology to replace them and then, you know, use this to only perform the task. It's this technology is here to help them refresh, to help them learn. Um, So in terms of this the six-month interval, one of the big challenges in, in educating individuals, and we'll do in the context of maintenance, uh, is machine accessibility. You know, how are we supposed to train our indiv- or these individuals to perform these tasks at such wide intervals if well, they can't access the machine? 
Right? They, they can't go into the machine and, and start, you know, hey, everyone, just you know, shut down production for a little bit. I, I need you to practice real fast, right? I mean, that would, <laughs> no one would ever say that on a play floor. Never. Um, and so how do we educate these individuals to be um, effective and, and reliable in, in the sense to, to perform these tasks when that six-month interval hits? And so to kind of relay that back to your question, you know, this technology is here for them to you know, use to, to better perform their job, not to replace their jobs, not to say, hey, don't do any critical thinking and just lean on this. Rather, use this as an opportunity, maybe a week out or two weeks out as a refresher course so that when you go into this actual, this task you have in front of you, you can be better prepared. It's, it's easy to talk on this, all this technology and all the amazing stuff on, on a high level, but really where I'm interested in focusing on is that one individual that's going to be putting on the headset that's going on that call at that plant doing this one thing and he needs this technology to work for him to better improve his job and how do we help that individual be successful because if we can help him be successful then there's going to be a broader adoption of the technology because everyone will start kind of having that activation moment where they're like dang that brings some value here you know i really like this kind of thing it works for me you should try this (laughs) (laughs) yeah i remember you know working at a manufacturing facility on the controls maintenance team when I was co-oping uh, during during college, the best way to solve a problem was to just go talk to the machine operators because they have the most intimate relationship with those processes and with those machines. And yeah, if you really wanted to put together an impressive solution, just go talk to them. They'll tell you exactly what to fix. So I think this is you know a similar kind of bottom down you know bottom up approach is hey we want to implement this technology. What is the best way that, that this can help you do your job? better or safer or more efficient um, and, and really allow the, the operator or the maintenance tech or whoever that's actually going to be using the technology to own that solution and, and help drive that, that implementation for sure. So, And then let them, let them kind of explore, let them discover ways that I may not even be knowledgeable that like, you know, I have my, Oh, you can do this, you can do this and, and this is how you can do it. But it's, it's kind of like, okay, throw that aside. How do you think you could use it? Looking back to the technology, um, Again, everything is is very capable as it stands today, but obviously there's there's room for improvement. We've got Moore's law on our side as far as improving processing. Uh, there's new sensing technology coming out, improvements to firmware and application level, um, you know, details. What do you think is the biggest opportunity for improvement looking forward to the future of this technology? Is it, is it one of the things I mentioned or is it something else? So hardware is kind of the easy answer. We need better sensors or we need to be able to 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 deploy more triangles higher complex and more complex models and stuff right that's for sure those are used i think one of the big things and you actually hit it on hit on it uh, earlier in in response to one of my statements was um education exposure to mixed reality you know but not in the form of like hey here's this mixed reality tool do it do this with it right here you know here you go here's how we've used it go but rather like here's the tool how do you think it can make an impact you know, and sitting down with those individuals and educating them on this this weird device, or you know, exposing them to the Hololens too, or the Magic Leap, or or phones or tablets, and saying, you know, this is this is the technology. Here's how it works, and and how do you think it could make an impact? I think those are the one of the biggest opportunities for improvements. So, do you have any final words for everybody um, about AR, VR, MR, XR? If, if you had one one statement to make, what, what would it be? Explore it. Ask questions. Learn. Embrace it. You know, 
such an opportunity currently to evolve traditional practices with mixed reality. Excellent. What a great way to, to end this episode. Thank you, Don, for joining. Really appreciated uh, talking with you. Excellent. So we have more amazing episodes lined up, uh, both on technical topics and more interviews with thought leaders in automation, robotics, AI, and IoT. You'll definitely want to keep an eye out for those episodes. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to also check out the YouTube channel by searching This Is Automation in YouTube. If you enjoyed the podcast, please let us know by leaving a review and a comment on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time on This Is Automation. Bye.